Well, it's a fact. You'll never grow any bigger than your relationships. Most, one of the most important, valuable assets in your life. You can get more money, but you get relationships and they'll make you bigger in life. Or if you hang around the wrong people, they'll make you smaller. Be sure you get real discriminatory about relationships. Don't discriminate the negative way about people in different culture, but boy, you better be sure you walk with some smart people. Hang out with people that make you better, not people that keep encouraging you and baby patting you in your little comfort zone. Somebody that'll just kick your bottom and say, come on, you're bigger than this. Get up, grow. Let's don't, don't sit down and stuff, suck your thumb and drink Maalocs. Well, we're in a series called How God Builds. How God Builds. And we started it last week. Remember, my grandfather told me many, many years ago, he said, Ricky, if you want to build more than a chicken coop out of your life, you got to build it on a strong foundation. Would you agree? Well, heck yeah. Well, that's going to be true for your marriage or your life or your ministry or your business for anything. Relationships, you got to build it right if it's going to last. Now, we begin with part two today, Psalms 127. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, you are wasting your time building anything else. That's my translation. It says you're, you're building in vain. Except the Lord guards the city, the watchman, the security guard, guards it in vain. We said God is a builder, a master builder. He made the worlds, and He's the great architect of the universe. Jesus is also a builder. He came to the home of a carpenter. His first job was as a builder. God is building, it said, a house, a spiritual house to live in. The house of David did not refer to his condominium. It referred to his family. So when it says the house of Saul, the house of David, it's talking about his lineage, his family. So the Lord is building families, and out of families he builds city. And he said that anything he builds, he guards. Then we discuss three ways God builds. First, he builds revelationally. We'll talk about that. Second, relationally. He puts people together. You heard Jeff and Nanette's testimony. And third, he builds generationally. He's building something that lasts after we're gone. I mean, don't you want to leave some kind of a legacy? I don't want to pass divorce and poverty and uh, thumb-sucking self-pity life to my kids. I want to give them something worth spit. I want to give them God's favor. I want to give them a blessing. I want the next generation spiritually that takes over Summit to inherit something worth having so they can take it even to a higher level. That's a legacy. That's generationally. We're passing the baton. Don't pass off a sucky life to somebody. Just because your mom and daddy were sucky doesn't mean you have to suck. You can make choices. Okay, I may get ugly here. I don't know. Everything God builds lasts. Anything God does not build, he said, won't last. I look around this audience, and we started 35 years ago in a hotel. And I think about all the families that I've known for all those years divorced, gone, out of God's work. And then I think about ministry friends I've known for all those years, wonderful people, many of them not even in the ministry anymore, 
many of them not even married, and some dead. They didn't build it right. They're wonderful people, but they didn't build it right. Doesn't mean they didn't go to heaven. It means they didn't build it right, and it fell down. Jesus said the storm's going to come to every house. I don't care if you live in Dominion or you live in some gated community in Alamo Heights. God says the storm's coming to you. He says, if you build by my word, if you do what I say, you're like a man who builds his house on a rock. And when the flood and the storm and the stress and the pressure and the disagreements come, the house stood. But if you build it and don't do what I say and build it on sand, no matter how good it looks, it may go for a few years, but the stress and storms are going to come and it's going to collapse like the Hard Rock Cafe Hotel in New Orleans. You all saw that come down. So you can build something, and for a while it'll go up, but after you add weight and stress and pressure on a marriage, on a life, on a business, then pretty soon, if it wasn't built right, it's coming down. It's coming. I want to, I want to finish strong. I don't want to be good for 15 years and then gone, collapse. I've been married 45 years to the same woman. I would like to finish. I don't have any more money to invest in another marriage. And I certainly don't have the body to give either. And don't look at me strange, you don't either. Yeah, wonderful thing about gravity and decay. It affects all of us. So we said, we said God, what He builds last. And then we said, first of all, He builds revelationally. When Jesus asked Peter in Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, wow, Pete. Flesh and blood, man, did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven revealed that to you. Then Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Everything God builds starts with a foundation rock of who Jesus is until you know who He is by revelation. Not historically. Everybody believes Jesus was a good man, a prophet. Everybody believes in Jesus. That's historically. That won't save you. You've got to, by revelation, know I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't fix myself. I can't change myself. But He can, and He died to save everybody in the world. When I know that by revelation, then what I build will stand. See? But if I don't have that revelation, nothing I build will ever stand. We said, secondly, God builds relationally. Just as you were born physically and born into a family, a relationship, you're born again into a spiritual family called the church, the body of Christ. God only has two families. He has one home, the natural family. He has one, a spiritual family. And you're very fortunate if you came out of a good home, a good family that loved you, esteemed you, believed in you, uh, spoke your future destiny to you, positive affirmations, not You'll never be anything. You'll never amount to anything. You're no good. You're no good. There was a song. Who was the girl that sang that? Linda Ronstadt. You're no good. You're no good. You're no good, baby. You're no good. And just about the time you get over it, I'm going to say it again. And the enemy says that to everybody. So unless you pursue relationships, you won't have much built in your life. Because the church is one body with a lot of members. Ephesians 4 says, the body builds itself up in love as every joint supplies. A good question for you. Are you supplying anything? If you are a born-again Christian in this family, you're a joint. Every joint supplies, okay? 
the growth potential of the human body is in the joints. So in the spiritual body, the growth potential of us as a church is every joint supplying. Half the church doesn't supply anything. They don't serve. They don't give. They don't pray. Mostly, they don't even come at Christmas and Easter. I'm just, just a fact. So imagine the potential that's unlimited if every joint supplied. What are you supplying in time, in talent, or treasure? My life has been enriched by the multitude of people that have been connected to me. Different cultures, different races, different nationalities have made me a bigger thinking person. If you grew up in Mule Shoe, Texas, that's a real place. And the biggest, you know, Bobby, (laughs) and and the biggest church you ever saw was 150 people. That's as big as you could think. But if I took you to Seoul, Korea and showed you a church of 500,000, when you got back to Muleshoe, Texas, it'd be the same, but you'd never be the same because you saw it bigger. And that's the benefit of connections. People help you think different. People help you act different. People challenge when you're in the wrong behavior. Those people have made me a bigger and better person. My life is bigger, my vision stronger, because I was around people a lot bigger than me who saw potential in me that I didn't see, and as a result, made me grow. So who are you connected to? Well, I don't go to anywhere. I'm the Lone Star State. Yeah, and you won't find that in the Bible, and you'll live a pitiful little pygmy life. You won't get bigger without relationships. You will not. And I... You talk about getting bigger or getting worse at marriage. You coop yourself up with somebody, you'll find out real quick how much like Jesus you aren't. (laughs) I'm qualified to say that after 45 years, all right. And still with the same woman, okay. You can't grow without relationships, okay. And that's why we urge you, get in a small group where you can build friendships. You can't build friendships in a big church. You, you, if you don't want to, you can't build friendships in a dinky church. About the most you'll ever have is 10 people. Jesus only had, you know, 12 disciples. So people say, well, that church is too big. I, I want a smaller church. You still won't have but 10 friends. I don't care if it's a church of 100 people or it's a church of 100,000. You still won't have but that many close friends. So the key is having some. So what are you doing to build that? Do you know God's got a mate for you if you're single? God's got advice for you if you need medical attention. We've got doctors. We've got lawyers. We've got skilled mechanics. We've got an answer to every problem you have in relationships. The answer to your problem may be sitting over here, but you won't greet anybody. You won't say hello. You won't go out of your way to be friendly, and you'll sit there and suffer or do without. You know, somebody sitting over here, your, your spouse could be sitting over here. You might want to change seats if you see something better. <laughs> Are you okay? Okay. I hate traditional church, so please just let me be me, okay? That's all right. Thank you. And third, yeah, come on. All right. It is so hokey and fake. I'm sorry. And then third, God builds generationally. What's left after you leave? Huh? What's left? Now, we see the same pattern in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, 
but incorruptible by the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Peter says that you were born because a seed got planted. The stork didn't bring you. A seed got planted. You and I were born from a seed. And the problem with the seed you and I were born from is it's corruptible. It's perishable. It came from sinful Adam, and it's destined to die. Listen to, listen to these words, verse 24. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls away. Did anybody look in the mirror this morning after shower and notice your grass is withering? Your flower is fading? Or just me? And I don't like it. Right? I wish you could have a glorified body on earth right now. I'd be first in line if I could. Verse 25, but the Word of God abides forever. So the seed that produced us from flesh won't last unless the Lord builds the house, see? And the family or house God is building begins with a seed, but not a seed of flesh. It's a seed of the Word of God. And the Word of God is incorruptible, imperishable. When you're born of the seed of flesh, you're born to die. But when you're born again of the seed of the Word of God, which is Jesus Christ, you'll never die. 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow. So God says, I want you to grow. Stop a minute. Wait a minute. There is no excuse given in any Scripture in the Bible that gives you an out as to not to grow. God never says, okay, you've grown enough. Now you can stop. I don't care if you're single young, divorced, married, or old. There is no Scripture that says you don't need to be responsible to grow. Everybody in Jesus is expected to grow. Not just be born again, but grow. You're born of the Word of God, and if you desire the milk of God's Word, you grow. I worry about believers who have no desire for God's Word, and they're dumb as a rock. They believe anything. The only... It's amazing the stuff we grow up hearing, even at Christmas, that isn't even biblical. The three wise men. Where does the Bible say three? It doesn't say three. I'll eat the page. Go ahead. Look it up. Turn to Matthew. It's not there. It says certain wise men. They traveled in a caravan for protection. There weren't three. And secondly, they didn't come to Jesus in a little nativity scene. It says they found him in a house, and the word they used for him was toddler. He was about two years of age, which is why Herod wanted to kill all the babies from two years and down. He wasn't in any manger. He was waddling around the house messing his diapers. It's amazing. It's amazing when you read the Bible how much it differs from a lot of traditions that we're taught. It says, and the angels sang. No, they didn't. It says they said. Didn't say they sang. Now, I'm, I'm picking at you just to show you that most people don't read the Bible. They just listen to somebody parrot it and assume it must be true. That's going to get you in trouble. That will limit your life. The only baby that doesn't want milk is a sick baby or a dead baby. That baby instinctively wants milk. When I find out something I believed is wrong from Scripture, I, I thought, oh, man, I can't believe we missed that. That is so good. And then other people get mad. You show them truth and they get mad. You know, we were dealing with some folks that came from one religious background, and, you know, they believed that Mary had, had Jesus. We're okay up to there. But then Jesus, then Mary ascended into heaven and never had sex or relationship with Joseph and no more. And I says, well, he's got brothers and sisters named. 
Mary got a little active after Jesus, all right? And it was amazing how they just fought that, but they never read the Bible, they don't know God's Word, and they can believe anything. You know, our little kids will believe a fat man comes down a chimney and eats cookies and leaves gifts, or an, or an Easter bunny lays eggs. I mean, it's, it's like you, the, when you're immature, you believe that. But when you eat the meat of God's Word or drink His milk, you get maturity and you discern, ah, that's not true. That's not true. And so I don't know what you're believing. So if you know God's Word, then no matter what civil laws change, no matter what the culture changes, God's Word never changes. So I have a good foundation. I'm not going to get swept left or right. I'm going to abide in that Word and have a pretty unshakable life. So, if you've been born again, desire the milk of the Word that you may grow. So, listen, if you've been saved five years, you ought to be bigger. You ought to be better than you were five years ago, for goodness sake. Yeah, get out of kindergarten. Get out of the diaper section and grow up, right? Peter says, you start revelationally like a baby. Then in verse 4, he moves into the relational aspect. And we come to God as living stones rejected by men, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. Verse 5, you also, believers, are living stones. So Peter says, okay, you've been born again. That's the foundation. Now come to God desiring the milk of His Word. So this is the revelation that gets you saved. The recognition Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's Lord. Then he says, now recognize relationships. You're a living stone and everyone else around you with the same revelation is also, I'm looking at a whole crowd of living stones. Verse 5, you also as living stones are being, here we go, built up as a spiritual house or family for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. And Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church. Now, who's the rock he's going to build his church on? It ain't Peter. It's Jesus. So he starts with the foundation, the rock of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And let me pause a minute. It said, Peter, who do men say that I am? Okay. He said, well, some say this, some say that, but who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, you didn't get that from human flesh. You got that by revelation from my Father. And upon this rock, what rock? The rock of the revelation of who I am, I will build my church. Jesus is the foundation. Upon this foundation can no man lay another foundation but the one that's already laid. It's not Peter. Holy Moses. Peter is a wreck. Peter walked with Jesus for three and a half years, the son of the living God, and he's still cussing after three years and trying to cut the head off of the servant of the high priest. He missed and got his ear. I think Jesus can build a little better than Peter. And Peter couldn't be the first pope. I mean, Peter's got a wife. He had a mother-in-law. That would assume you got a wife. He healed the mother-in-law. People don't read the Bible. It's, it's like, I'd rather just get a job picking up trash, you know, it's try, to, it's try to, to help people who won't read the Bible. It is such a mess, and it just messes people up all the time. No, Jesus is building his church on him. He's the foundation. He's the rock of ages. Scripture calls him the rock. How did Peter get into it? I have no idea, but we could make better choices. I see Peter on the dashboard of some of you. I thought, I'd rather put my mother-in-law up there than Peter. <laughs> okay. 
All right, come on, stay with me. And then he builds the house with living stones. Once you lay the foundation, now you've got, to put, you've got to put the bricks together, the stones together to build something up, right? So God builds with us, putting us together in relationships, building stone to stone, putting all the stones together, and it's being built up as a house or family for God to indwell. That's how God is building, in relationships with the other stones. Now, when we were praising earlier, we were the stones crying out, Scripture said. Verse 6 through verse 8. I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have a cause to regret it. To you who trust in Him, He is a stone to be proud of. Talking about Jesus. But, but to those who refuse to trust Him, the stone the workman threw out is now the chief cornerstone. For the untrusting person, the non-believer, it's a stone to trip over a boulder blocking the way. They trip or they stumble and fall because they refuse to obey just as predicted. So here comes Jesus Christ. He's the precious cornerstone that God will lay and upon which God will build everything that's going to last. But he says there are those who reject the cornerstone. They don't see Jesus as the cornerstone. To them, he's the rock of offense. And because of it, those builders rejected the cornerstone. So Peter says there are builders who reject the cornerstone that God is building with, and their building will not last. In Bible days, they would cut out from the quarry a perfect stone. They get it just right. Then they would cut every other stone out of the pattern of that first perfect stone. That was called the cornerstone. Masons, masonry people called it the coping stone. And they would compare every other stone to the original perfect stone. So if Jesus is the cornerstone, the perfect one, and every other stone that you and I that follows him is measured by him, not the culture or a denomination, every one of them will be compatible with him and each other. So if Jesus loves sinners, what's your problem? If Jesus was a person who brought in other cultures, brought in females, brought in other races, what's your problem? You, where did you come up with that bigotry or racism or prejudice or denominationalism? See, you are, you're not measuring yourself by the perfect stone. You're measuring yourself by a wrong pattern, see? Now, if you took Jesus as the corner perfect stone and measured a guy by that one, then you measure the next guy by that guy, not the perfect one, and then you measure this guy by that guy. Maybe this would be better. Let's pretend this is a piece of wood, and I've got it just perfect. And so I cut me a piece of wood from the perfect pattern. Here we go. Now, I'm going to, I just left the perfect pattern. Now I'm going to cut by this pattern. I'm going to cut the next piece by that piece. By the time I get out here, this thing's going to look like this. It isn't going to look like the original. It won't measure up. It won't fit. And that's kind of what we've been doing, changing this pattern over and over and over again. So if I want to see how I'm doing, I got to compare myself to the original. And if it's the original, then I'm going to be, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to be similar to Jesus. So stones wouldn't look anything alike after a period of time compared to the original. 
So God builds by comparing every stone to the original chief cornerstone, which is Jesus. And if you don't believe that, then to you, he's not the cornerstone. He's not the one who is perfect. He's not the one by which everything else will be measured. Instead, he offends you, and you end up involved in building something that's not of God. Unless the Lord builds the house, you're wasting your time. You're building it. Religion builds without Christ, and so do men without Christ. See, when God puts living stones together in the house that He's building, it's permanent. And you have to be able to fit together with the other stuff. Well, I don't like Him. Well, get over it. (laughs) You know, my wife, Cindy, and my daughter, Chrissy, are out at celebrating my father's 100th birthday in South Carolina. They'll be back tonight. And uh, I said, I think I was on Twitter, and I said, my adversaries are going to have a hard time with me. It looks like I'm going to be around for a long time. (laughs) Anyway, I hope so. And if you've been measured by the cornerstone, you're going to fit. I ought to be able to get along with pretty much anybody. Any believer from any other quarry, we should fit together. It's not about agreeing on every single thing. It's not, we might like a different style of music. We might have some variants on taste, non-essentials. But when it comes to Jesus and it comes to His Word, we ought to fit together pretty easy. Shouldn't be a hard, difficult thing, see? You're going to have stones, stones over you, under you, and around you. Woe to the man or woman who can't be built up relationally, because that's how God builds. He puts us together. Verse 4, you are living stones, He's talking to us, rejected by men but chosen of God. And if you're a living stone cut from the perfect stone, the original, you'll be rejected by people occasionally as well. But to God, you are chosen because it's God doing the building. And finally, God builds generationally. Verse 8, He's the rock of offense to those who don't believe, but you are a chosen generation, a holy race, a royal priesthood. So if God has a chosen race, then there must be a not chosen race. But it's not based on color, nationality, or culture. It's based on revelation. There are those to whom Christ is the cornerstone, and those to whom He's a rock of offense. There are those who are offended in Him, and they're rejected. But those who believe in Him are a chosen race. You're the church. So everybody that believes the Lord Jesus is the Son of God, you're the chosen generation. You're the chosen race. And those outside are doomed to eternity without God. We are, verse 10, a people who were not a people, but now we are the people of God. We poor old Gentiles got to come into the Israel of God by faith in Jesus Christ. We were dead without Christ, and we were far off. But through Christ, we've been made near. We had no identity, but now we are the people of God through faith in Jesus. I am somebody now. It's not about your natural family. They may have been divorced. They may have been separated. You may have been adopted. But your new identity in the family of God is you are blessed. You're highly favored. You are chosen of God. You're the apple of His eye. He is delighted in you. My gosh, He says, you're in the palm of my hand. You're imprinted there. No man can pluck you out of my hand. So when you're born again into God's kingdom revelationally, You grow and you're built up by Him. You have to have proper relationships. Then you have to realize you're part of a generational thing God's been building before you ever got here. Can I say this too? You know, when you have lots of people, you're going to have lots of problems. Do you know why there's no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven? 
Because God said, I don't want that mess up here. <laughs> okay, I'll give you something to sip your coffee over. <laughs> Listen, if God set you, sit where He set you. I want to tell you this. People sometimes have divorces. Sometimes people get unemployed. Sometimes people commit a, a, a federal offense. If you're a believer and God put you in this body, it's your family. You don't leave your family. If your spouse runs off with another man or woman, you've got, you said, well, I have too many memories there. You're darn right. We're going to create some new ones too. Get that hairstyle, get on that machine, drop a few pounds, and God's going to provide for you somebody else. I'm not leaving my house, my family, because somebody went crazy, took off, and that happens all the time. So the enemy gets two for one. I'm thinking, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to sit around and say, well, I'm embarrassed to come. I'm not. I'm loving Jesus. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be. And if your partner goes nuts, let them go nuts. You stay in your family. You stay where God puts you. If you've been, if you've done something bad and you're, you're a person who can say, I did it and I'm responsible, I won't forsake you. God won't forsake you. There's life after divorce. There's life after a crime. There's life again. God's a God of restoration. He's a God of grace and mercy. You can begin again and a little more intelligently, we would hope, right? Make better choices. But every now and then I get the word, oh, so-and-so's not coming to church now. You know, he says he has too many memories. Ah, oh, you need to get your bottom kicked. You need to get yourself a little military. What are you talking about? If, if your spouse runs off, don't you go in a fetal position, suck maylocks. Say, I got along without you before I met you. Going to get along without you now, baby. And it may be even better this time around. Abigail got rid of a drunk, worthless husband and got to marry into David. So, girls, there's something to look forward to. If you married a worthless... Church is so limited in what you can say. It's just not expressive enough. It really hinders me, which is one of the reasons I said, God, choose somebody else, not me. So I'm not here doing my own thing with God. When he birthed us into this generational line, we became the great, 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 great grandchildren of the faith of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. We're going to sit down in the kingdom with all these great saints at one family table. It won't be by race or culture or nationality. It'll be by faith in Jesus Christ, period. And there are people yet unborn that will be there because God's building something bigger than us. That nursery out there has got our future. God's trying to get us to see that God has to build it. No man can build it. And if God builds it, he builds it three ways. By the revelation of who Jesus is, by relationships, putting us together so we're stronger. And generationally, I'm putting money into this thing. You're sitting in seats many of you never paid for, but others of us sacrificed so that this generation could be equipped. And I'm praying that when the next generation takes over, they'll be able to take it to a higher level. I, I'm sowing not for what I'm going to get out of it. I'll be dead. I'm sowing it for the future so it can go on. Second generation, third generation. And that's exactly how God builds generationally. So don't just think about you. If God's given you money, if God's given you influence, if God's given you celebrity, He's given you power, remember, its ultimate expression is to advance the kingdom, not just yourself. It's to think generationally beyond me. I don't 
you know, my parents gave me nothing but divorce and handing us off to relatives to be raised. Okay, we forgive them. I understand. No big deal. I've taken care of that. But I decided then I want my kids to have a stable home. I want them to know they'll never be on Oprah or Montel talking about how daddy didn't love them, didn't approve them. I have done nothing but breathe faith and hope into those kids since the day they were born. I pray God's Word over them every day. I'm putting on them an escalator right up to, 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 the, to a home run because they, they've got a future and a destiny, and I want them to know it. I didn't get it, but I want them to get it. So I'm not going to pass off five divorces to my children. Now, if you've had a divorce, you've already heard me say this. God's a divorcee. <laughs> Perry Noble retweeted me because there are some religious groups that think you're second class if you had a divorce. And I remind them, most preachers don't even know it. Jeremiah 3 verse 8 says, God gave Israel the bill of divorce. So I said, God couldn't be licensed to preach by many major denominations because he's a divorcee. He hates divorce. He hates pride, but he doesn't hate divorcees. He loves you. Get back up. Get back in the race. You're not second class. You've got a future. You've got a hope. Get back in this thing. Stop it. This is a, that's why Jesus went to the cross, okay? Well, okay, Rick, great. So what? I think it's about values. We live in a nation and a culture that's lost its values. And unfortunately, we live in a generation of Christians who have lost their values. See, what's valuable to you? What's important to you? Your values are what you prize, what you esteem over anything. See, if you're going to be built up into what God's doing, you've got to value how God does it. And you either will or you won't. You're in or you're out. And you've got to come to the place you value the way God builds. Because if you don't esteem and value the way God builds, your life will always be in confusion, always in turmoil. You'll always misunderstand what's going on around you. You'll have a man-centered reference instead of a God-centered reference because this is how God builds. And if you don't see these things as important, God loves you, but you can't be built up. The first storm that blows in, the first problem that hits you, the first thing that causes you pain or stress, you're going to try to get out of it. Marriage, position, church, or relationship. Where are you going to go? You can't have conflict or stress. The grave. If you're going to be around anybody else, there will be occasional conflict. Somebody will get offended. See, God sets people in the body as it pleases Him. It's not the church of your choice. It's the church of His choice. And if He sets you, I suggest you sit where you've been set. And you don't let a divorce or an offense or, or, or your own personal failure take you out. You know, you can't grow coffee trees in Alaska. Wrong environment. And when people break out of their divine connection and placement, they never produce. They never grow. There's, it, it, they just wander, wander like nomads in the desert. Not because God doesn't love them, but because that's not where He set them. So you need to find the place God set you and then sit your bottom down. And I don't care if your mate leaves you, I'm not leaving. This is my family, this is my placement, and my future's coming out of it. I'm going to stay right where he set me. 
And I've lived by that philosophy, and I'll die by it. You'll value something else above God's pattern, and if you build it, it won't stand. Good luck. But if God builds it, it can't fail. Unless the Lord builds it, you waste your time. You're building in vain. And you'll be guarding something you're building in vain. That's kind of dumb. So, do you know Christ? Has He been revealed to you as the Son of God personally, not historically? Do you know who you're joined to? Isaiah 1 verse 3 says, the ox knows its owner, the donkey its crib, but Israel, my people, don't know as much as the animals in the barnyard. God says, my people who don't come to the house of the Lord to be fed, they're eating, but they're eating other stuff. What God joins together, let not man put it apart. Where has God placed you? He hasn't joined you to every church in town. He hasn't joined you to everything in town. So where do you draw your line? Do you understand setting and placement by God? In the natural, you know who your father and mother and brothers are, but do you know it in the spiritual? That's what God values. And if you ever see it, you'll never treat relationships casually again. You'll never walk out on your spouse and say, I'm gone. You'll never, uh, you won't be flipping around from church to church. And we got more churches in this town than people. Church, new church, new church. No, it isn't new. It's just recycled Christians from another sheep shed. That's all it is. Just... They, they just steal this many people from that, and it goes on and on and on, a waste of time and money. And you'll say, this is my family. This is where God has put me. And sadly, most people say, that's not important to me, which is why we have so many divorces, so many broken relationships, and church migration. You don't stay married. Some of you have been married 50 years, a few 60, me 45. You don't stay married because I got it all my way. This ain't a Burger King relationship. I want it my way. I don't get it my way. But I recognize God set us together. God placed us together. I ain't moving. It's that simple. It's not about how I feel. My feelings go up and down like yours week to week, moment to moment. But we, we, live, we, don't, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. I walk by God's Word. This is where I'm put. No matter how I feel or what I'm feeling, I'm going to stay there. And God says, good, you'll be around a long time. He who does the will of God abides forever. How do you like that for security? Bring it on. When the storm comes and hard places hit, you're going to find out what you value. And if you were stranded in the desert, would you value a bag of gold or a canteen of water? Good question. If anything in our marriages, churches, relationships, and businesses is going to last, it's got to be built the way God does it. So if you're tired of having what you build blow away, change the way you're thinking. Change your behavior. Start thinking the way God does. Renew your mind. So do you know Christ, the rock? Do you know those He's joined you with? Do you have a heart for the generations that will be here after us? Are you willing to give your time, your talent, your treasure for that? If you had a bad year, maybe God's showing you what He didn't build. Hope you're listening. And don't get under condemnation. Just say, Lord, I want to start building it the way you do. I want this marriage to last. I want this business to last. I want this church to last. I can think of the ministers I've known, the front page of Charisma, Christianity Today, that don't exist. They didn't last one. They looked hot to trot. They looked, oh, famous and whoa. You look at it like playmate of the month, December. Oh, it's brother so-and-so. It's apostle so-and-so. And they didn't last one generation. Gone. I don't want that. I don't want that. 
I want to finish strong and hand the baton to the next generation and you take it to a higher level and look back that you stood on the shoulders of those who went before you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.